Section thirty four of the Expedition of Humphrey Clinker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson. The Expedition of Humphrey Clinker by Tobias Smollett. Section thirty four. To Sir Watkin Phillips of Jesus College, Oxford. Dear Phillips, I send you this letter franked by our old friend Barton, who is as much altered as it was possible for a man of his kidney to be. Instead of the careless, indolent sloven we knew at Oxford, I found him a busy, talkative politician a petit maitre in his dress and a ceremonious courtier in his manners he has not gall enough in his constitution to be inflamed with the rancour of party so as to deal in scurrilous invectives but since he obtained a place he has become a warm partisan of the ministry and sees everything through such an exaggerating medium as to me who am happily of no party is altogether incomprehensible without doubt the fumes of faction not only disturb the faculty of reason but also pervert the organs of sense and i would lay a hundred guineas to ten that if barton on one side and the most conscientious patriot in the opposition on the other were to draw upon honour the picture of the king or ministers you and i who are still uninfected and unbiased would find both painters equally distant from the truth one thing however must be allowed for the honour of barton he never breaks out into illiberal abuse far less endeavours by infamous calumnies to blast the moral character of any individual on the other side ever since we came hither he has been remarkably assiduous in his attention to our family an attention which in a man of his indolence and avocations i should have thought altogether odd and even unnatural had not I perceived that my sister Liddy had made some impression upon his heart. I cannot say that I have any objection to his trying his fortune in this pursuit. If an opulent estate and a great flock of good nature are sufficient qualifications in a husband to render the marriage state happy for life, she may be happy with Barton but i imagine there is something else required to engage and secure the affection of a woman of sense and delicacy something which nature has denied our friend liddy seems to be of the same opinion when he addresses himself to her in discourse she seems to listen with reluctance and industriously avoids all particular communication but in proportion to her coyness our aunt is coming mistress tabitha goes more than half-way to meet his advances she mistakes or affects to mistake the meaning of his courtesy which is rather formal and fulsome she returns his compliments with hyperbolical interest she persecutes him with her civilities at table 
she appeals to him for ever in conversation she sighs and flirts and ogles and by her hideous affectation and impertinence drives the poor courtier to the very extremity of his complaisance in short she seems to have undertaken the siege of barton's heart and carries on her approaches in such a desperate manner that i don't know whether he will not be obliged to capitulate in the meantime his aversion to this innamorata struggling with his acquired affability and his natural fear of giving offence throws him into a kind of distress which is extremely ridiculous two days ago he persuaded my uncle and me to accompany him to st james's where he undertook to make us acquainted with the persons of all the great men in the kingdom and indeed there was a great assemblage of distinguished characters for it was a high festival at court our conductor performed his promise with great punctuality he pointed out almost every individual of both sexes and generally introduced them to our notice with a flourish of panegyric seeing the king approach there comes said he the most amiable sovereign that ever swayed the sceptre of england the deliciae humani generis augustus in patronizing merit titus vespasian in generosity trajan in beneficence and marcus aurelius in philosophy a very honest kind-hearted gentleman added my uncle he's too good for the times a king of england should have a spice of the devil in his composition barton then turning to the duke of cumberland proceeded you know the duke that illustrious hero who trod rebellion under his feet and secured us in possession of everything we ought to hold dear as englishmen and christians mark what an eye how penetrating how pacific what dignity in his mien what humanity in his aspect even malice must own that he is one of the greatest officers in christendom i think he is said mr bramble but who are these young gentlemen that stand beside him those cried our friend those are his royal nephews the princes of the blood sweet young princes the sacred pleasures of the protestant line so spirited so sensible so princely yes very sensible very spirited said my uncle interrupting him but see the queen ha there's the queen there's the queen let me see let me see where are my glasses there's meaning in that eye there's sentiment there's expression well mr barton what figure do you call next the next person he pointed out was the favourite yearl who stood solitary by one of the windows behold yon northern star said he shorn of his beams what the caledonian luminary that lately blazed so bright in our hemisphere methinks at present it glimmers through a fog like saturn without his ring bleak and dim and distant 
ha there's that other great phenomenon the grand pensionary that weathercock of patriotism that veers about in every point of the political compass and still feels the wind of popularity in his tail he too like a portentous comet has risen again above the court horizon but how long will he continue to ascend it is not easy to foretell considering his great eccentricity who are those two satellites that attend his motions when barton told him their names to their characters said mr bramble i am no stranger one of them without a drop of red blood in his veins has a cold intoxicating vapour in his head and rancour enough in his heart to inoculate and affect a whole nation the other is i hear intended for a share in the administration and the pensionary vouches for his being duly qualified the only instance i ever heard of his sagacity was his deserting his former patron when he found him declining in power and in disgrace with the people without principle talent or intelligence he is ungracious as a hog greedy as a vulture and thievish as a jackdaw but it must be owned he is no hypocrite he pretends to no virtue and takes no pains to disguise his character his ministry will be attended with one advantage no man will be disappointed by his breach of promise as no mortal ever trusted to his word i wonder how lord <clears throat> first discovered this happy genius and for what purpose lord <clears throat> has now adopted him but one would think as amber has a power to attract dirt and straws and chaff a minister is endued with the same kind of faculty to lick up every knave and blockhead in his way his eulogium was interrupted by the arrival of the old duke of n who squeezing into the circle with a busy face of importance thrust his head into every countenance as if he had been in search of somebody to whom he wanted to impart something of great consequence my uncle who had been formerly known to him bowed as he passed and the duke seeing himself saluted so respectfully by a well-dressed person was not slow in returning the courtesy he even came up and taking him cordially by the hand my dear friend mr a said he i am rejoiced to see you how long have you been come from abroad how did you leave our good friends the dutch the king of prussia don't think of another war ha huh? he's a great king a great conqueror a very great conqueror your alexanders and hannibals were nothing at all to him sir corporals drummers dross mere trash damned trash hey his grace being by this time out of breath my uncle took the opportunity to tell him he had not been out of england that his name was bramble and that he had the honour to sit in the last parliament but one of the late king as representative for the borough of dimcombe raig odd so cried the duke i remember you perfectly well my dear mr bramble you was always a good and loyal subject a stanch friend to administration 
i made your brother an irish bishop pardon me my lord said the squire i once had a brother but he was a captain in the army ha said his grace he was so he was indeed but who was the bishop then bishop blackberry sure it was bishop blackberry perhaps some relation of yours very likely my lord replied my uncle the blackberry is the fruit of the bramble but i believe the bishop is not a berry of our bush no more he is no more he is ha 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 exclaimed the duke there you gave me a scratch good mr bramble ha 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 well i shall be glad to see you at lincoln's inn fields you know the way times are altered though i have lost the power i retain the inclination your very humble servant good mr blackberry so saying he shoved to another corner of the room what a fine old gentleman cried mr barton what spirits what a memory he never forgets an old friend he does me too much honour observed our squire to rank me among the number whilst i sat in parliament i never voted with the ministry but three times when my conscience told me they were in the right however if he still keeps levee i will carry my nephew thither that he may see and learn to avoid the scene for i think an english gentleman never appears to such disadvantage as at the levee of a minister of his grace i shall say nothing at present but for thirty years he was the constant and common butt of ridicule and execration he was generally laughed at as an ape in politics whose office and influence served only to render his folly the more notorious and the opposition cursed him as the indefatigable drudge of a first mover who was justly styled and stigmatized as the father of corruption but this ridiculous ape this venal drudge no sooner lost the places he was so ill-qualified to fill and unfurled the banners of faction than he was metamorphosed into a pattern of public virtue the very people who reviled him before now extolled him to the skies as a wise experienced statesman chief pillar of the protestant succession and cornerstone of english liberty i should be glad to know how mr barton reconciles these contradictions without obliging us to resign all title to the privilege of common sense my dear sir answered barton i don't pretend to justify the extravagations of the multitude who i suppose were as wild in their former censure as in the present praise but i shall be very glad to attend you on thursday next to his grace's levee where i am afraid we shall not be crowded with company for you know there's a wide difference between his present office of president of the council and his former post of first lord commissioner of the treasury this communicative friend having announced all the remarkable characters of both sexes that appeared at court we resolved to adjourn and retired 
at the foot of the staircase there was a crowd of lackeys and chairmen and in the midst of them stood humphrey clinker exalted upon a stool with his hat in one hand and a paper in the other in the act of holding forth to the people before we could inquire into the meaning of this exhibition he perceived his master thrust the paper into his pocket descended from his elevation bolted through the crowd and brought up the carriage to the gate my uncle said nothing till we were seated when after having looked at me earnestly for some time he burst out a laughing and asked if i knew upon what subject clinker was holding forth to the mob if said he the fellow is turned mountebank i must turn him out of my service otherwise he'll make merry andrews of us all i observed that in all probability he had studied medicine under his master who was a farrier at dinner the squire asked him if he had ever practised physic yes and please your honour said he among brute beasts but i never meddle with rational creatures i know not whether you rank in that class the audience you was haranguing in the court at st james's but i should be glad to know what kind of powders you was distributing and whether you had a good sale sale sir cried clinker i hope i shall never be base enough to sell for gold and silver what freely comes of god's grace i distributed nothing unlike your honour but a word of advice to my fellows in servitude and sin advice concerning what concerning profane swearing and please your honour so horrid and shocking that it made my hair stand on end nay if thou canst cure them of that disease i shall think thee a wonderful doctor indeed why not cure them my good master the hearts of those poor people are not so stubborn as your honour seems to think make them first sensible that you have nothing in view but their good then they will listen with patience and easily be convinced of the sin and folly of a practice that affords neither profit nor pleasure at this remark our uncle changed colour and looked round the company conscious that his own withers were not altogether unwrung but clinker said he if you should have eloquence enough to persuade the vulgar to resign those tropes and figures of rhetoric there will be little or nothing left to distinguish their conversation from that of their betters but then your honour knows their conversation will be void of offence and at the day of judgment there will be no distinction of persons humphrey going downstairs to fetch up a bottle of wine my uncle congratulated his sister upon having such a reformer in the family when mistress tabitha declared he was a sober civilised fellow very respectful and very industrious and she believed a good christian into the bargain one would think clinker must really have some very extraordinary talent to ingratiate himself in this manner with a virago of her character so fortified against him with prejudice and resentment but the truth is since the adventure of salt hill mistress tabby seems to be entirely changed 
she has left off scolding the servants an exercise which was grown so habitual and even seemed necessary to her constitution and is become so indifferent to chowder as to part with him in a present to lady griskin who proposes to bring the breed of him into fashion her ladyship is the widow of sir timothy griskin a distant relation of our family she enjoys a jointure of five hundred pounds a year and makes shift to spend three times that sum her character before marriage was a little equivocal but at present she lives in the bon ton keeps card tables gives private suppers to select friends and is visited by persons of the first fashion she has been remarkably civil to us all and cultivates my uncle with the most particular regard but the more she strokes him the more his bristles seem to rise to her compliments he makes very laconic and dry returns t'other day she sent us a pottle of fine strawberries which he did not receive without signs of disgust muttering from the aeneid timeo danaos et dona ferentes she has twice called for liddy of a forenoon to take an airing in the coach but mistress tabby was always so alert i suppose by his direction that she never could have the niece without her aunt's company i have endeavoured to sound square toes on this subject but he carefully avoids all explanation i have now dear phillips filled a whole sheet and if you have read it to an end i dare say you are as tired as your humble servant j melford london june second end of section thirty four